Mindless Can, the podcast, with radio personality Jane Lindley Thomas and psychologist Paul Bushel. Because every act of kindness, no matter how big or small, can change lives. In this series, Jane and Paul hope to enrich your life by giving you practical tools on how to be kinder in your relationships with yourself, with those around you, at home, work, and in your community. We say a really happy uh, welcome to uh, Jackie Mungavin, who is an author, speaker, senior pastor alongside her husband, Richard, and mom of seven. It is such a delight to be with you today. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So seven children, hey, how's that? Gosh, that sounds like a wonderfully tough experience. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great description. Yeah. yeah. So what are it's your like children? punishment some people would yeah. say, hey? What are your children's names and ages? Jada Grace is 17 years old. Kiara is 14, so two girls. And then five boys. Jade is 12. Rourke is 10. Sam is 9. Cade is 8. And... Tyden, who goes by the name of Tiger, is seven. Wow. And you homeschool all your children? Yeah, yeah. We school them at home uh, and move them onto the Cambridge system. So then they become obviously at home, but online educated. What an amazing journey for all of you. Yeah, it has been. And I'm sure there are pros and cons to it. Yeah, I've got an education in the process. (laughs) (laughs) I know a whole lot more than when we started. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we really are very thankful that you've taken time to be with us. Pleasure. So... I mean, I can't believe that it's almost been a year. And what a year it's been, I'm sure, for you and your family. But can you take us back to December 2018? Sure. So uh, on Christmas Eve, we were on our way to church. My husband had taken six of the kids slightly earlier, and I was following along with Kiara in the car with me. And crossing oncoming traffic, a motorbike hit into my passenger door and hit Kiara on the head. To cut through to it, what basically happened is her skull was fractured, possibly even by the handlebar of the motorbike. So a very, very acute fracture of her skull. Part of it went into her brain. So she had brain surgery on Christmas Eve to have some of the fragments removed um, and restructured. And they thought that it was a localized injury, not knowing the effects that would happen. It was quite a big localized injury, but just just in one section of the brain. By 8 o'clock Christmas morning, we received a call that the surgery had been unsuccessful in the sense that her brain was continuing to swell and uh, they needed to rush her in to remove nearly half of her skull so that her brain would have room to expand uh, without being restricted from getting oxygen into the brain. Obviously, if it's under a lot of pressure, then fresh blood can't flow into the brain. So they did that surgery uh, on Christmas morning at 8 o'clock. And um, by Christmas afternoon, her brain pressure had not been reduced at all. It was continuing to rise. They looked for what else might have happened. They realized that the injury was no longer just a local injury. It actually was a global injury in the sense that the actual force had gone all the way through the brain, knocked on the other side and back again. So the entire, all the tissue was damaged. It wasn't a pressure in the sense of bleeding because then you could just drain the blood. It was the actual brain tissue was swelling. Um, it was up far too high for fresh blood to be able to be flowing in the brain. And it stayed at that for, I think, three days. Sure. So, As you're talking, I'm just that I'm imagining and, and empathizing with that day and, and, and all these procedures. And I suppose each time she goes in, there's a like your hope raises that this is going to help. And then the bad news comes and then the, the hope for the next one and the, the bad news comes. And yeah. that's a hard thing to 
in such a short space of time, those repeated knocks yeah. of, of bad news. Yeah, it was crazy. I, I mean, at Christmas afternoon, I think, we, we, once she'd come out of surgery, we nipped back to where our kids were having Christmas lunch to just go and pop in and say hi. Um, and then we got a call again to come back again that it just wasn't working, nothing was working. And um, I remember just calling my oldest daughter, Jada, and saying to her, um, my love, I think this is it. I just want you to be prepared for, I think I think this is it. Yeah. It's just so much. And I feel so choked up talking about it because I just imagine my daughter. It's that feeling of so helpless. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing you can do. I think for my husband, that was his his biggest moment was Christmas afternoon, when he realised we we come from a privileged background. We've always had someone we can call, someone we can we can turn to, and at this point in time, there was there was nothing. There was nothing money could could solve. There was nothing anybody could do. The top surgeon had said I've done everything I can and she has not responded I'm sorry so where to from there so the next morning um boxing day morning her heart her heart had been had failed in the night and they'd resuscitated her and he just said basically at that point in time his responsibility was to try and preserve brain stem life uh, he had I don't want to put words in his mouth but in a sense he said there is no possibility of of normal brain functioning because she's been now without oxygen at that point in time it had been about two days Um, he said irrespective of what the damage has done she's been without oxygen for far too long there's no possibility that she is not severely severely brain damaged but his medical responsibility was continue to hope for brain stem life and so that's why they resuscitated her he said, I understand that as parents, you're not hoping for brainstem life. You're hoping for, hoping for fullness of life, but he has to do his job. How are you keeping things together during this? Because I remember getting the news that this accident had happened. I was away with my family and I, I literally would live from blog post to blog post of yours, trying to just keep up with how she was doing. And when I read about it, I was always so enamored with your strength. And I can only imagine that the flip side of that, there must have been some really forlorn moments where you were just so weak. You know, Jane, I remember being pregnant with Kiara. She was so, uh, our oldest daughter's adopted. So Kiara was actually our firstborn because uh, we adopted Jada when Kiara was 18 months. I remember being pregnant with Kiara and, you know, you go to your gynae appointment and you see the little heartbeat or you see the little baby wriggling and you feel great for a few minutes. And then you go home and a couple of hours later, you're like, now, now what? Yeah. Is my baby still alive? <laughs> yeah. Is it okay? Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't check up on it. It's the most bizarre feeling. And I, I know they even sell these days where you can have your own yes. heart rate monitor. Yeah. Home, just to keep checking on your child and I remember thinking that and just thinking sheesh at what point in time do I hand this child over to God because I, I, I can't control I don't have the ability to protect her life and then when she was born I remember checking on her oh my goodness I was so exhausted <laughs> because I was sleeping with her on my chest yeah. trying to see if if, yeah. if I kept breathing then she would keep breathing and I felt responsible for everything about her yeah. And, you know, newborn babies have very erratic breaths. Yeah. And she would stop breathing for two seconds. And then I would wake up not breathing. And, oh, my goodness, eventually I just said, God, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And he was like, awesome. Anytime <laughs> that you're ready to let me do my job, then you can go back to doing your job. And I think at that point in time, even as a young mom, realizing there was things that I couldn't do for my daughter and there were things that I could mm-hmm. and I needed to leave 
God's job in his hands mm-hmm. and be free to do bad. So that's the kind of approach that you took now with exactly. Kiara being in such a bad way that you knew that you could only bring so much to the table and the rest was out of your control. 100%. And that's there must come a, yeah. peace with that, I suppose. Hey? Absolutely. That kind of letting go. Exactly. I think that's the point is I can love her. I can be there for her. There are things that the doctor can do for her that I can't do for her. There are things that her nurse can do for her that I can't do for her. And there's things that God can do for her that I can't do for her. And my job is not to get confused about my position on the playing field yeah. and to do play my role uh, and trust others in the team, <laughs> being God and the doctors and whoever else to do their roles and to play their roles. And such a hard thing as a parent because, you know, as you're describing, this is such a precious part of you, part of your life. Um, yeah. To kind of surrender that yeah. takes a lot of courage yeah. uh, on the parenting journey. And yeah, that helplessness and those, that 48-hour time period, that balancing between holding my emotions but also surrendering and letting go of some of the stuff to, to other people or, or to God in that moment, it, it's like a juggling act. Yeah. yeah. I think sometimes we, we put too much pressure on ourselves to be everything. And at the end of the day, when we're comfortable being ourselves – we're more likely to do that to the best of our ability. And so surrender for me is the overarching. So for me, the miracle happened long before Kiara woke up. The miracle happened when we were willing to surrender at that point. Mm. Wow. How is that powerful? That's really great advice to parents listening, just that that sometimes you, you have to place trust Trust in your child, trust in people around you, trust in your 100%. faith on this journey. And you can't be everything exactly. for your children as much as you love them with every fiber in your body. You, you just can't be everything to them all the time. Yeah, I believe a parent's responsibility is to connect their child to what they need in the world, not to be everything their mm. child needs in the world. And that's, that's a really important part of resilience. So we know that children who are more resilient in the world have the ability to ask for help and to connect because yes. you can't be successful in this world all on your own. All of us in our journey of our lives have to rely on lean on other people. And the sooner we role model that to our kids, because kids learn from what they see, right? So when our children watch us doing stuff like that, they're more likely to do it themselves. And so I think that's a wonderful thing to have role modeled to your children. But gosh, in, in this specific part of your parenting story, that must have been a really hard thing to action. Yeah, I remember coming home to Jada in one of those early days and her saying to me, Mom, I've always heard about a peace that passes all, all understanding, but I've never exper- I never knew what that was. I was always jealous of people who said that they had experienced a peace which passes understanding. She says, but I've got it. <laughs> I now figured it out because everything is crazy and upside down and we don't know what's going to happen. And yet I've... I've now finally found what this means. Mm. And that tension between surrendering and still wanting to hold on some level of, of control, right? There must have been moments where you, you did get frustrated and you did get angry with the people around you and, and maybe even in your in your faith and in your relationship with God sometimes. Why is this happening to us? Why is this happening now? Yeah, I think that in some ways those emotions have played out more in less desperate situations because there's been room for error. (laughs) And so I've been willing to get angry or get frustrated or with people, with God. Whereas in this situation, everything mattered. (laughs) Everything was now come to a head and I had to act on what I truly believed. And so actually, to be honest, less so in this situation. Yeah. Wow. 
when I watched the story, because I felt like I read it and felt it, there were two emotions. So obviously, I felt the desperation from one mom to the other, that, that feeling of kind of floating through space and not being able to control, which we've chatted and touched on. But then the flip side of that was just being reduced to tears at the love and support that your family received in your darkest time. And that, for me, is just its so inspiring because it shows us what we are capable of. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, Jane. I think it was... It was completely overwhelming, to be honest. But also, I'd like to give a little bit of credit to my husband in the sense that he has always sown into this city. He's always sown into relationships. He's very intentional about meeting people, having time for people, helping people. And I just think it was such a beautiful... I think people help anyway because there are many strangers who don't know him or us who helped. But also, there were many people who came around at this time to say you've sown into us, now you're going to reap a hundredfold. And so I just think that that's also important, yeah. Can we chat about some of the stories of kindness? I mean, can you give us examples of what people were doing for you and your family at this time? Absolutely. So I'll go all the way back to the accident um, because I just, I think paramedics and people who serve in that line of work are just phenomenal. Mm. Uh, For example, I mean, they're not superhumans. So, for example, the paramedic who saw to us, one of the guys, got back to us and said that he actually went into a period of suffering with post-traumatic stress disorder after dealing with the accident. And you don't realize that these are humans putting themselves on the line and being – if. The people who loved you could do that. They'd do it, but they don't know how to. And so they're stepping into those people's skin and saying, I know how to. Um, But it does not affect them. And so I think that's just huge. Mm. I love the way so many people, it was instantly an emergency for everybody, not just for us. Uh, The car guard running in to go and find my husband, the restaurant owners of Kalamata who were busy setting up on the corner there in Durban North, running out and uh, giving us a towel to put on Kiara's head. And just everybody ran, you know. Nobody is, oh, we'll help you as it is convenient. For Mm. everybody, it's an emergency. And I just Mm. think that's beautiful. We live in such a beautiful community. We do. We live in such a beautiful community. And it's sometimes sad that it takes a tragedy like this to step back and, and, and realize that. But, you know, going on, building on from what we were talking about earlier about connections, I think all of us have a responsibility, not because we want something back, mm. okay, but we all do have a responsibility to participate in this community if we want to to feel the rewards and, and the benefits of that. Mm. And I think it's things that we should be intentional about, all of us in our everyday lives, that it matters to give and it matters to, to treat other p- people's moments as urgent and to say kind words and participate in that mm. because where energy goes, energy flows. Yes, you know, Jane and I talk about that a lot and this is just such a wonderful illustration of that. So as much as you were putting out energy, it was just so satisfying to know that that energy came back to you when you needed it the most yeah so the first night instantly before even a message had gone out somebody a friend of ours tanya olafia had heard about it and she immediately arrived at the hospital christmas eve and stayed the night praying through the night there christmas morning i mean it's a it's a busy time and people have got things to do we obviously are our friends are in church and so many of our friends are church leaders and instantly dropped their services. This was like the biggest day in the calendar for them. And 
Mark and Monique Nyman, who lead the Rock Church, instant they walked into their, their community, said, Happy Christmas, everybody. We're going to the hospital. So and so, you're on duty. Can you <laughs> you take the service? So <laughs> just, just like putting their own communities on the line in order to be there for us. And then uh, Kiara's friends just gathered around. So they decided that they were not going to leave the hospital until Kiara walked out with them. <laughs> and so these little girls just brought their blanket. I mean, they were so, but they were so sweet while they were doing it. It wasn't the sense of an emergency camp. It was just like a camp out. They brought their pillows and they brought their blankets and they brought their teddy bears and they brought their coloring and things and they brought their music and they set up in the hospital in the, the waiting room and just said, we're just going to hang out here. Absolutely. That amazing solidarity just going to be with you. Yeah, we're going to stay here until you're ready to leave. And they choreographed dances that Kiara would have a place in when she woke up. And they just, they just refused to let her go through it on on her own. They said, if you're ha- if you're sleeping here, so are all of us until you walk out. And they did. Eventually, the hospital had to give us a day ward, which was closed for the holiday season, and said, can the girls maybe sleep on beds in there because they can't just sleep on the floor uh, indefinitely. All of us have something to give. Yeah. In these moments. And even if that's just sitting next to someone or, or, or that solidarity or that kind message, it doesn't have to be big and complicated, Grand. although it can be like the, the paramedic and, exactly. and, and the surgeons. But so it doesn't have to be complicated that participating as a community member in a spirit of kindness and giving. So, Jax, let's talk about that moment when she opened her eyes. I mean, how do you even describe that moment? Yeah, it was so it's an amazing I don't know how to describe it. So obviously as a parent, you don't know what you're going to get. And so we had no idea and we had to be prepared to love whatever child we got back. And we didn't know what that would mean. Uh, Kiara herself is incredibly kind hearted. Uh, Her motto is have courage and be kind. Mm. And for for us to think that we might get back a child that didn't have that same heart was quite hard. Um, And so I think what was amazing was her opening her eyes, yes, but she opened her eyes and the first thing she did was to reach out and to touch our face with kindness. You know, she just stroked Richard's beard and ran her fingers through his hair and we instantly knew her heart is the same. I think that was the biggest deal. (laughs) She's home. That's she's, how it feels to her. me. She's home. No matter, we can teach her anything else, but I don't know if we can teach her how to be Kiara, you know? So that was really special. I'm like falling to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's you know, it's just such an incredibly special moment. You just want to capture it and put it in a bottle and yeah. share that with people. And I think yeah. so often with our children, we don't always appreciate all these little things even in the sense like Kiara is very touchy she loves to touch and sometimes you're not in the right space and you're like stop touching me I'm trying to do something (laughs) (laughs) and uh, you know she loves to kiss goodnight and she always we've got seven kids but she always wants to be the one sitting between Richard and I (laughs) Mm, Uh, and so she she, she's all of that and then when you when you nearly lose it uh, you want all of it back sure (laughs) How did the family deal with all of this? I mean, I know that, you know, the older we get, the more we're able to deal with situations. We know how the story will play out in certain ways. But for children, I mean, how, how did it as a family unit, how did, how did you navigate that? It was an interesting thing to navigate because obviously some of, 
us in the home who are going through tremendous trauma mm. and others in the home we're just a little bit inconvenienced uh, yeah. which is fine you know that's absolutely normal a young child needs their parents and that's all they mm. don't need anything else and so we had to take a moment each day to connect with each child Whew. because some of them were dealing with severe trauma some of them needed to be heard some of them just needed time which we didn't have a lot of because we were at the hospital and uh, others of them just wanted to tell us about their day yeah. <laughs> and so it was quite a thing to come home and literally give a one minute update on how Kiara is and then turn our attention to them and to offer them kindness and to allow them to be seen. I think kindness has a lot to do with being seen, mm. somebody taking the time to see you and to mm. understand you. Mm. I think we all just want to be understood. Mm. And so to not let it always be about Kiara when we got home, even in the midst of it, it's like, okay, it's not about Kiara anymore. Now it's about, I'm sorry, we've spent all day away from you now. What did you do today? How can how can I listen to you? How can I hear you? Parenting is a wonderfully tough job in, in the sense that how tough is that? But you've got your responsibilities Absolutely. to other children and you've got to keep that responsibility up amidst worrying about another child, but also holding all of your emotions yeah. in that moment. And a lot of physical touch, yeah. like touch communicates so much more than our words can sometimes. And so sometimes... I would just pick them up, throw them on the couch and lie down on top of them (laughs) and just just lie like that for a few minutes. And it was actually even that just physical pressure. I'm here. I'm present. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. And then they would run off and play again. I mean, listening to you again, like I've got three kids and I certainly in the beginning stages when I had three kids under the age of two would have really overwhelmed moments. And when I hear you speak and when I read your writing, did you ever have that time where you just weren't handling I think, Jane, your question is interesting because if you've gone through extreme trauma, you don't have the luxury of not handling at that time. So there are times, I know we we spoke previously about what about being kind to yourself. You have to find those moments, Mm -hmm. but when it's not just you, but people that you're responsible for, you have to find those moments when you have the luxury of doing so. Mm -hmm. So uh, you might think that you haven't done that as a young mom, but let's be honest, did you have a breakdown while your ch- while you were driving with your children in the car? So you also chose your moments mm. of when you would allow your emotions to overwhelm you. Mm. And so, yes, but they were carefully chosen right. moments. And we do have the ability to to choose the moments that we're going to be overwhelmed. Yeah. But there was a lot of grace and kindness in our home. There was no pretending mm. uh, in the sense that we would be quite kind. I would just walk in, sit on the dining room table some days and just sob my eyes out. Mm. And the kids would walk past and, you know, Cade is very kind. He's eight and kindness is like his character. He just, he loves to touch. He loves to see people. And so he would walk past and just touch me Mm. and then carry on, not try and stop me Mm. from crying. Others of them would run in and say, hey, mom, what's for snack? (laughs) It's in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) And so there was just a like a, a... we know why you're crying. We don't have to ask why. Right. Um, and so there was a grace for everyone to just yeah. deal with their emotions. Which I love about that. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's space that's held for vulnerability. Absolutely. It's not a, a facade of we, he, we handling this because it's like, this is where I am because this yes. is, this is it. And an appreciation for the fact that, and this is a really important point, an appreciation for the fact that all of us are going to respond to this differently. And all of us are going to have different responses at different times. And it sounds, as a family, you are very open to that fact that you might need a bit more of this today and you might need less of that. And 
and you might respond in this way and, and another person might respond in that. And I think being open to that is very important in the family unit. You know, often where loss uh, is involved, there can be a lot of conflict around that actually because we expect everyone to, to be on the same page of, as us or on the same journey going through the same emotions. But it's often not like that. So as a mom, I'm imagining, like what you were saying earlier, that you don't have the luxury of, of expressing a lot of your own feelings in the early stages of it because you're trying to hold everything together. So you might not have had all of those responses straight away, but maybe later in the journey, you were able to express some of those feelings. The timing of it is different. Absolutely, Paul. Yeah. I agree with you. And so what we were very careful to do with our children is, even on Christmas morning, is to say to them, all right, this is going to be a thing. Okay, this is clearly not a few days problem that we're going yeah. to have. This is going to, And I want you guys to know that you're going to feel... Some days you're going to want to cry, and that's yeah. fine. And some days you're going to want to play, and that's also fine. And some days you're going to forget about Kiara, and that's also fine. Yeah. Uh, just to give them permission to not be guilty about the yeah. emotions. I think to bring it to what you were saying about everybody grieves in different ways and, and processes trauma in different ways, that was something that I think Richard and I stepped into immediately as a married couple simply because we knew that this trauma was massive, yeah. and so there was no doubting what we were feeling. I'd, so even when Richard was doing something or responding differently, I could be confused, but there was no doubt in my mind that he, this was a big deal to him as well. Mm. And so as mother and father, as male and female, as people with different personalities, we both responded and needed different things. Mm. I needed to be alone. I needed to process. I needed to be sitting next to Kiara. He needed to be with his mates. And so sometimes he would be out having coffee or he'd want, and I would think, no, I would be at risk of thinking that he was being callous. Mm -hmm. But Richard, is that's just how he's wired. He has to process with his friends and they could sit with him in silence. They could talk with him. They could cry with him. And we had to be kind enough to allow each other the space. Mm -hmm. So he's like, oh, but come with us. I want you to come with us. We're going out for dinner or we're going to sit at the coffee shop or come sit with me. And he would have to allow me to say, well, I don't always want to do that. And mm -hmm. sometimes he would come and sit with me quietly and sometimes I would go out with him mm -hmm. where he wanted to be and where he wanted to process and where he felt the happiest. And so that was something that we had to navigate uh, as a married couple but because we assumed the best of each other right i yeah. think that was key because there was no assuming anything else how could this not be hectic you yeah, know? Yes. Yeah, yeah. i know it's a big deal for you so i must now rather watch what, how you're processing yes and and interpret it correctly as opposed to make judgments and sometimes support you so push myself out of my comfort to do what works for you yes. and and sometimes for me have that kind healthy boundary of saying i can't do that today i've yes. got to do this for me in the way that I do it. Absolutely. And that conversation is also very important, often for couples, uh, to avoid that miscommunication about where you're at or what you really feel in this process. I'd like to say that one thing that has changed forever for us as a married couple is realizing how important it is to be tender with each other and to not assume a sense of robustness that we don't always have. Mm. And so in that moments and in those few days there was just an, a knowledge and understanding that we were both completely raw it was as if we had no skin and so the way that we handled each other had to be so tender and there were even some things where we were handling things differently or, or making decisions that we would have chosen differently so we actually had to have 
a disagreement or an altercation yeah, around sure. something, but now you're doing it with somebody that has no skin on. And so, it's like, love, uh, when you say this, uh, I really don't think. Yeah. <laughs> and so just the way we had to speak with each other was so gentle mm. and just a realization hey we could always talk like this yeah. <laughs> we could always uh, assume that the other person is maybe a little bit more fragile than we realize wow and i think in long-term relationships in particular we trust each other so much uh, we love each other so much that it's easy to to forget some of those just very basic ways of talking mm. and being with each other and I think that's an important thing to remember. Sometimes go right back to basics. I need to talk to you in this moment as if this is the first time we're having a conversation. And in long-term relationships, we sometimes forget those very basic gentleness with each mm. other. Yeah. We unpacked it in a previous uh, podcast yeah. when we chatted about kindness in your relationship because yeah. that person knows you so intimately on so many levels that sometimes you feel like, ah, oh, it will be fine with them. Yeah. If I say it like that, uh, but actually being very specific and intentional about how you treat that very, very special person. Yeah. And everyone, obviously. I mean, let's be honest. But our special, special, specials. Specials. But I think, Jane, something that you're passionate about is being kind to ourselves. And so often because we see that person as part of ourselves, mm. we speak to them in the way that we really shouldn't be speaking to mm. ourselves in the first place. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. It's all point. connected. Yeah. It's all intertwined. Yeah. And Jack's the road from opening eyes to where she is today. I mean, take us through that miraculous unfold. Just watching her success and her absolute, the miracle that is her. I mean, when I saw that footage of her dancing for the first time, I was just like, I don't know how her mom, I mean, how, I can't even try and comprehend that. So, I mean, how has the journey been from her opening her eyes to where she is now? Jane, it has been uh, an exciting journey. For us, it's been We've been very blessed in that it was an accelerated journey. Mm. For many people, it's a very slow journey um, in the sense that when she woke up, she couldn't talk. She'd lost her speech center. And yet within a week, she was talking pretty well, muddling a few words, not quite the sentence structure that she would have had. Certainly more abstract concepts were difficult. By the time she went home after four weeks, you could notice it if you knew her well. If you were just meeting with her, you wouldn't notice it. Whereas a couple of weeks after that, in fact, after they did the surgery to replace the skull, which was seven weeks after they first took it out, her speech was now completely up to normal. So it was very accelerated, which was wonderful. It was quite a special time. I was quite careful to create happy memories in the hospital because I knew that we'd have to go back into hospital. And so we did quite a few things that took us all the way back to first early days parenting, such as nightly massages and classical music and going for walks hand in hand down to Kauai and having treats and smoothies and all those. Uh, special things, lots of moments together, reading out loud, all those things that you would do with a young child uh, because I was, I really wanted to retrain all her neural paths exactly the same as they were before oh. and so we were, we did quite a lot of that careful classical training mm -hmm. uh, that we did in the early days and so 
because of that, it was quite a special time, actually. In a way, I miss being in hospital, which is amazing. And when Kiara uh, had to go, so she came home for two weeks and then she had to go back into hospital. And instead of being traumatized and saying, I really don't want to go, she was excited. She was looking forward to going back in. She was looking forward to having a skull. <laughs> She's like, that'll be awesome. I don't have to wear a helmet everywhere. And she was looking forward to the special one-on-one time again. It's amazing. I mean, when I'm, when I'm hearing you talking, there is that kind of notion that the mom's attention goes to the child that needs them the most. And I know that in my family, uh, that happens to me sometimes. And I've got to catch myself because it's usually the child that gets everything done that I actually need to watch. So how did you find balancing because you're spending and investing and just plowing into Kiara's well-being and her, her recovery? How did you, were there moments of feeling guilty because you weren't able to do that for your other children? So Jane, I think that what I sometimes do is even as I'm falling asleep at night, maybe just go through each child in my mind and think what have I, what I've observed during the day, what they need. And so as long as you're being intentional around it, it doesn't have to be the same time spend. Uh, so sitting with us in studio is little Tiger because he is ready to be the baby again. And <laughs> hey, Kiara, move up. I want like some attention again. <laughs> yeah. And so that's absolutely fine because so as long as I'm thinking of each and considering each child, uh, then you can still make intentional decisions around, oh, that kid is actually fine. And, you know, the behavior shows, their little telltale signs, which can help us to understand which child is needing it. But you're very right, though. We can fall into the trap. Our, our sixth child, Cade, is very independent, very happy to not be watched he's the Mm. child that'll tell that'll try 10 somersaults failed into the pool and then on the 11th one he'll nail it and he won't say mom did you see that he'll just give himself a little air punch and carry on so he's very independent Mm. and so then you're like oh i must make sure that i've remembered that child and at least considered do they have everything they need yes And, and for kiara readjusting as well back into being part of the the pack for want of a better word and and that must be quite an adjustment for her it is and it has been Mm -hmm. it has been yeah and so we would have to i think part of even this kindness concept is teaching our children to see each other because we mentioned right in the beginning that actually all a child needs is their own parents but the fact of the matter is that many of them have siblings (laughs) and so they have to learn how to share and how to consider each other and I think that's where community is modeled so Mm -hmm. right in our families we model the fact that okay you might not need this person right now but can we just put ourselves in their shoes and see what they've gone through Uh, so that is to say that we did quite a lot of that with our six children while Kiara was in hospital I would often and come home we would have dinner together before I went back and we would talk about maybe how Kiara had been feeling but then when Kiara reintegrated into the family we actually on a number of times around the dining room table said Kiara we want you to sit still and listen as the children each get an opportunity to tell you what they've been through yeah. because you're the only one that ha- has not experienced mm. losing a sibling mm. and Oof. she I mean yeah. she was heartbroken at the yeah. concept because yeah. she's very tender-hearted and she just teared up and she was like I'd much rather be me than you Mm. Uh, And each of them just told her how hard it had been to not know. What stands out for me as you're talking uh, in some of your very conscious and intentional parenting moments through all of this is having hard conversations and and not being afraid of them. And I just love that Mm. as you're talking, the amount of times that you you set time aside to to sit down and and facilitate. And those conversations are emotional and they're messy. uh, And people say things sometimes that they don't really think think it through but it's it's their truth in that moment and then trying to facilitate that back and i think 
that must have taken a lot of courage. But as I'm sitting here, it just feels it feels so right, and it, it sounds like it's really worked for you. I can tell one or two funny stories <laughs> when you sure. say it might have been messy, just so that uh, people can not think that everything is perfect at our house. <laughs> so please, one of the one of the boys said to Kiara. No, I didn't really notice. Uh, it didn't really bother me at all. In fact, it was very nice having you in hospital because we got to go on a lot of outings and we went to bounce and different people took us out every day. Oh, and we got so many sweets. <laughs> he says, I actually think that might have been our best holiday ever. <laughs> and so, it's his truth. Absolutely. Okay. It's his truth in that moment. But to facilitate that as the parent, you, you kind of panic for a moment. Oh, but, yeah. But Hold it. Yeah. One of them said, oh, I was really hoping I could get your shorts. <laughs> I asked my mom, what happened to Kiara's clothes? <laughs> and oh, wow. one, of the, one of them, uh, because obviously it was Christmas time and there were little, little bags of sweets under the Christmas tree. And one of them wanted to know if he could have Kiara's sweets if she died. <laughs> so this is on Boxing Day and the next day and the next day. And Kiara's in a deep coma and we're trying to process this. And he's like, but it's now four days, mom, and she still hasn't eaten her sweets. Can I have them if she dies? Yeah. And eventually I turned to him and said, no. If Kiara dies, I'm burying the sweets with her. <laughs> <laughs> Just want you to know you have nothing to look forward to if she dies. Oh, man. <laughs> Just put your emotions in the right place. Yeah. Make sure you're praying for the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's madness that it's almost a year. I mean, we're coming up to the year mark. How, do you, how are you feeling about that anniversary, that day? Um, what's the energy in the house like? So I think that part of self-kindness is to give yourself space to be able to process and to be able to feel the things. I know that uh, psychologists will tell us that in grief we vacillate between mm. dealing with the grief and dealing with our new life, you know. And um, so I think it's really important to to allow yourself those vacillations. And with that in mind, so December's coming up, obviously as pastors, again, Christmas is, we've now had an accident last Christmas, so we weren't in the pulpit, we weren't at work, so to speak. Uh, now, again, this year, what do we do? And actually, as a leadership team, they have decided to give us Christmas off. So <laughs> it's our first Christmas other than last year that we won't be at church in that community. And not. we would love to be with them, but we also have no idea how we're going to be sure, feeling. Sure. And so it's just giving us the space, taking a few weeks in December, giving us the space and allowing ourselves the possibility of feeling deeply one way or the other mm. and just making room for that. Yeah. So, Once again, making space, making space. And it just, the theme keeps coming up in this conversation for me, giving yourself permission to have that space for whatever comes up in that vacillation of all sorts of different feelings for each one of us as individuals. That for me jumps out as something very special. You mentioned your new life. What has changed since Kiara's accident as far as, her development i mean where is she on on the recovery road as far as we can tell you know a child grows all the time so i'm thinking of personality she's would be ch have a changing personality anyway she has gone from being 13 to being 14 mm. she's gone through a massive trauma not counting head injury but simply you know she's had her her privacy yeah. compromised etc etc I'm loving the new Kiara. She <laughs> seems to have, I, I was a little bit concerned that she may have lost her, some of her scruples because she's so much more outgoing, but I actually think that it is her natural development and having so much one-on-one -on -one attention that she's actually just come out of her shell in a beautiful way. Uh, that's not a very good analogy. Hey, come out of her shell when you've had your skull removed. <laughs> 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 anyway, 
I'm sure there'd be many laughs and being able to Absolutely. laugh along We've, this journey must have been so important. 100%. So Kiara is outgoing. She's happy. She's so proud of who she is, which I'm loving because there's things about her that are really awkward. She's got massive scars on her head that are as thick as a thumb, you know, and they run in a huge T-bar right from the top to the bottom, to the, from the front to the back uh, and round the side by her ear and you know, her hair on one side is curly and on the other side is straight and it's still trying to grow back. So she's got this mop of curly hair on one side that's short, short and, you know, it looks a bit awkward. She has a scar from her belly button right across to her side because they kept her skull in her abdomen uh, when it was just to keep it safe. And so there's all these things that should be hindering her but she's just claiming them she's walking around bearing her belly happy to wear a bikini happy to wear a shirt that might show her midriff at times and full of confidence which i love um she is back to her old self in the sense that if i need something remembered like kiara please remember that we need to do this if i need something organized kiara please make sure that this is organized she's very entrepreneurial uh she's done two years of of maths syllabus because she was supposed to be in grade eight but i made her redo grade seven so she's finished grade seven and grade eight she will be finished at the end of the term her english her writing her reading she is herself so it's actually completely phenomenal uh, her, must be so proud of her i'm so proud of you her must she's be had so to work proud so of hard her. and she's she is so deliberate and intentional so she's she plays it down a bit but it's it's not easy her friends have been so kind and yet there's sometimes that they don't know that she's had to think double quickly to try and make up for something that maybe the word is just she's like oh what was that word oh no that and she'll she'll find it um so when she gets tired i can see a little bit of deficit but other than that when she's and when i say tired like at the end of term three she had two days where i said just take the day off off school and relax that's we're basically all tired at the exactly, end of term three. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're all tired and at the end so, of term um, three she has done absolutely phenomenally uh, her surgeon just says her neurosurgeon says no I think she's perfect the only person I'd like to refer her to is the hairdresser <laughs> <laughs> if you were to give parents some advice of her going through trauma what would you say don't do it alone don't do it alone there was times when I felt like I honestly had no bones to hold myself up my legs just couldn't take weight. I would consider when I was lying down doing nothing, I would think, yeah, I totally have what it takes. I should get up and go grocery shopping. But I would stand up and try and realize, oh, wow, I really have absolutely nothing in me. Mm. Um, don't do it alone. Uh, the community wants to help. Absolutely. I think that's the point. Absolutely. Right in the beginning, we, again, we said the community wants to help. Be that community that wants to help when, mm. when you have it in you. But when you're the one that needs help, accept it. Yeah. It's our privilege Receive to it. help each other. Receive it as a gift. And so we did. We we received it for as long as we needed. Oh, can I just mention one kind thing? Because I think this is phenomenal. In fact, a few, just a few professionals who stepped up. Kiara was offered help from a biokineticist. She received free physio. How's this for a thoughtful thing? Our maths curriculum provider for her, our homeschooling maths heard about the accident. And it was obviously in January, which for a homeschool mom is quite a busy time of the year. You're ordering books. You're getting your head in the game. She said, I've looked up all the years you ordered last year and I've sent you all the next years. They're in the post. Oh. So just thoughtful stuff like that. And one lady said, you know what? I'm a teacher but I am in between posts this term. So term one, we were in hospital the whole time, just in and out and dealing with a whole lot of things. She just stepped in and came to my home and schooled my kids every single morning for the whole of term one. 
So just little things like that that we could not have survived without that. Uh, somebody stepped up and tutored our, our oldest daughter Afrikaans. So just people writing a note, I can do this. I'm a retired Afrikaans teacher. I'm an unemployed teacher right now. I have this ability. Can I offer it to you? And it was just so incredible to be able to accept those little details that we would never have thought to ask for. So amazing. But I remember when we chatted to Lisa Bobbitt uh, in a previous podcast episode about when they lost their home, how it takes a different type of um, I don't want to say skill set, but being able to receive mm. is quite humbling, especially when it's so overwhelming. And when talking to Lisa about it, she said it actually takes a bit of time to to be okay with accepting all the time. Because mm. as a society, we're fine. But when you're actually not fine and people are coming forward, they're accepting and graciously accepting. Mm. I think we need to question why we help. Because if we're helping in order to uh, display strength instead of unity, then we'll struggle to receive help. But if we're helping in order to display unity, we'll be mm. totally okay to receive I love it. that. <laughs> I love that. I love the, Jackie so yeah, much. Don't go well, anywhere. Yeah. Just take it all yeah. day. It's just and so lovely. These stories are so important. All those people who, who stepped up for you and your family, these stories are so important. Not only about giving them a pat on the back because they deserve that, but also just to let us all know that it's it's possible and, and it's part of our everyday it's right there for the taking it's just about being conscious and, and intentional about the fact that today i want to do this because i'm part of this very special community so thank you so much for taking the courage and being vulnerable with us today and, and sharing your journey uh, of the last year and we're so so pleased to hear that kiara is doing well yeah thank you Oh, thank you. Thank no, you thank for having you. me. It's been so refreshing. To chat. Yeah. So refreshing. Yeah. And as you say, vulnerable. We we really love going into vulnerable spaces because we think it is so. It shows such strength. Mm. There's this preconceived notion that being vulnerable is weak. Whereas I just think it's so beautiful that you've arrived. You've held space for times that are difficult. You've celebrated times that are great. And it just yeah. Thank you so much. Lots yeah. Of love. Lots of love. You've been listening to Kindness Can, the podcast. Find out more at kindnesscan.co.za.